Welcome to the Well Studying Podcast. This is episode 135. It's September 9th, 2015. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. In today's episode, we're going to talk briefly about what's going on in the stock market. We had a really bad sign today in the negative reversal that took place. But what I'd really like to focus on in this episode are some comments that were recently made by former Federal Reserve Chairman Alan Greenspan. I think they're enlightening and worth us uh, spending some time on. Before we get into both of those topics, though, I'd first like to announce the winner of our Mai Tai Coffee giveaway. The winner was Lauren in North Dakota. Now, Lauren is one of those names that can be both a man and a woman's name. So I'm not sure if our winner was a him or a her. It really doesn't matter. I'm sure that Lauren is going to enjoy that coffee one way or the other. I'd also, again, like to thank and acknowledge Matthew over at Mai Tai Coffee for being so generous and providing us with the coffee to give away. Congratulations again, Lauren. And then for all of you that applied but didn't win, well, hey, better luck next time. The bad news is, is when you have a drawing or a raffle, there's usually only one or two winners. But the good news is, is that when you're building wealth, everybody can be a winner. It comes down to three simple steps that I probably don't talk about as much now as I did in the past. I'm going to start reinforcing those concepts, and I'm going to, uh, at the danger of repeating myself, I'm going to bring them up more often. Again, I know there are some of you out there that want me to get to the point and think I repeat some things too much, but when it comes to earning and saving and investing, I don't think that can ever be repeated enough. Remember, in the wealth-setting uh, concept and what this podcast is all about, the lifestyle that I promote, it's not about being a day trader or even you know learning how to trade for a living or learning how to make your uh, primary income from just investing. That's not what wealth-setting is about. Wealth-setting is about becoming financially independent and doing it by leading a middle-class lifestyle and from the source of a middle-class income. And to do that, you have to focus on three things. And you have to do the first two before you can do the third. You have to learn how to earn an income. And it doesn't matter if you achieve that income by being self-employed or by being an employee. But you have to have some type of an income revenue producing source. And at the same time, you have to master the discipline of being a saver. You have to learn how to consume a whole lot less than you earn. When you combine those two things together, you eventually have a big enough of a nest egg where you can put those assets to work for you. Now, whether you put those into real estate or stocks or bonds or whatever it is you invest in, you know, on this podcast, I primarily talk about investing in stocks because that's what I have experience in. That's what I like to do. That's how I've built my wealth. But whatever it is, you can't get to the investing stage until you first have built that nest egg. So you have to earn and you have to save, and then you can put it to work for yourself. That's the essence of wealth-steading. If you're new to the podcast and you haven't listened to my first uh, 10 episodes, go back and do that. That's where I lay out my 10 wealth-building principles that helped me to get to be financially independent and to uh, be where I'm at today. But like I said, the good news is, is that we can all build wealth when it comes to financial independence. Just because one person's a winner, it doesn't mean somebody else has to be a loser. You have the ability to improve your life and to build your wealth, but it takes discipline, persistence, it takes some knowledge, and yes, it takes a little bit of luck as well. So if you weren't a winner in the Mai Tai Coffee giveaway, don't fret about it. Keep working on building your wealth, and then you can go out and afford to buy all the Mai Tai Coffee that you can drink. 
Okay, let's jump into today's topics. Let's first start off with what's going on in the stock market. I remain in the positions that I've been talking about. I have a little bit less than a 50% cash position, but a good chunk is just in straight old money market, non-dividend paying, place where I know my money's safe, it's readily accessible, and when I'm ready to jump into the market, I'll be able to do that. I have another amount, you know, close to 50% that through an exchange-traded fund is invested in the United States dollar. I do that because I believe in the turbulent times we're in right now, the dollar has much less of a downside potential than either stocks or bonds currently have. And I also think that there's some upside potential to the dollar. We've seen it stabilizing and, and getting up above its 200-day moving average. Now, again, as always, I have to remind you, I'm not offering you any advice or making any recommendations. I'm simply telling you what I'm invested in, what I'm interested in, what my observations are. I like to think out loud here and explain to you my trading strategies. This is for informational purposes only. You always need to make up your own mind about what you're going to do. I also own a small position in Walmart, something around a 5 to 10% position depending upon my exact portfolio objectives. But for now, I'm sticking with my Walmart stock. Now, the reason that I'm in this fairly conservative position with a lot of money in cash and a lot of money parked in the U.S. dollar index, just, you know, waiting to put that money to better use, you know, trying to preserve it until I see a, a better buying opportunity in the market. The reason I'm doing that is that we've seen over the last month or so, the market has come down to where it's really at about a fair value. The market's trading somewhere around 16 times earnings, maybe a little less, maybe a little more, but it isn't a bargain. It's a fair value, but it's not a great value. And if we continue to see this global slowdown, if we get some defaults from some of the countries or companies that are uh, focused on primarily commodity exports, things like copper, iron ore, you know, companies that are involved in oil production, since the commodity prices have collapsed, if we see that these companies are unable to service their debt and they have a great deal of debt that's outstanding. Uh, this is particularly bad in, in countries like Nigeria, Venezuela, uh, perhaps even countries like Peru, which are not oil exporters, but they're big copper exporters. And copper, like lumber, like all the commodities, they're extremely low right now. In some cases, anywhere from a 6 to a 12-year low is where we're seeing commodity prices. Now, because these companies are so over-leveraged and, and because there's such a concentration of these type companies in some countries, if we start having these defaults, it could quickly spread and become not only, you know, an industry or a sector problem, but it could become a whole regional or a national or a global problem. And when companies and countries start defaulting on their payments, then that will mean that investors in, in bond-type funds will become panicky They'll want to move to the safety of things like United States Treasuries, and we'll see higher risk type government bonds and corporate bonds. We'll see the interest rates or the yields on those go up to much higher levels. We've already seen the corporate high yield bond market go up uh, somewhere. I believe it's in excess of 7% right now. I don't have that number in front of me, but I'm pretty sure it's in excess of 7%. A lot of that, a good bit of that, in fact, in the United States is money that's owed by the shale oil producers. So if those people default and if we start to see defaults outside the United States, that could create this bond bubble that I've been concerned about. And again, this is, incidentally, I have to repeat this, but this is one of the reasons I've moved into the U.S. dollar and into cash as opposed to investing in bonds. A lot of times when you're concerned about safety, you can just move into a bond fund. 
What really worries me in bond funds, these would be like exchange traded or mutual funds that invest in bonds, is you get it out in longer duration, you know, 10 year, 15, 30 year bonds. When you're in those type of funds, if we see a bond crisis and higher interest rates being paid, higher bond yields globally, if that takes place, then the principal in those bond funds is going to go down because the price of a bond is inversely proportional to the yield. So, for example, those of you that might be invested in high-yield corporate bond funds, and incidentally, high-yield is a euphemism for junk bond. The reason those funds pay a higher yield is because the companies that borrow the money are much more risky than standard investment-grade bonds. So, if you're in a high-yield bond fund, know right now that's a junk bond fund. And right now, that may be paying 7 or more percent, and that's an extremely good yield in, in today's environment. But what you've probably seen over the last year and certainly over the past few months is that as that yield has gone up, the principal that you have in that fund has gone down. And that's because the older bonds that they, that, that fund has been invested in, well, now they're worth less money because those bonds which were purchased last year, the year before, um, they have a longer maturity and they were paying lower interest rates at those times. Maybe they were only paying 4 or 5%. And now junk bonds are paying 7%. Well, now they're worth less value. And so consequently, your high-yield bond fund, the principal that you have in that fund, has gone down. And that's what you have to be cautious of. That's why I'm staying away from bonds right now. So let's get back to the market. And here's the problem. Here's the reason I'm trying to be so cautious. We know that the personality of this market has been to trade in a tight range. All year long, we've seen the market kind of hover somewhere around 2100 on the S&P 500. It'd get up a little higher than that. It would get down a little lower than that. But it pretty much stayed above its 200-day moving average. And it was a great strategy to come in and buy on the dips. Whenever it would go down 2 or 3%, investors would come in, they'd buy it. A few weeks later, it would go back up. It might make all-time highs. And then it would fall down again, that 2 or 3 or 5%. But it would pretty much stay above that 200-day moving average. Well, all that support has been broken now. The market is well below its 200-day moving average, but it does continue to exhibit that personality where it's trading within a range. And that may go on for quite some time. And that in and of itself is not a bad thing. That's really what we would call a consolidation, or as Bill O'Neill at Investors Business Daily would call a base. He would call that building a base. Remember, stocks can do one of three things. There's only three outcomes that they can have. The price can go up, the price can go down, or the price can stay the same. And so when something's consolidating or building a base, it's staying the same. And it will do that for a period of time, but then at some point it has to move on to one of those other two outcomes. It either has to go up or it has to go down. Well, we're in a market right now where I think you can flip a coin where it's just as likely to go up as it is to go down. And so that's why I'm being very cautious and I am not buying these dips. In the last few weeks, the market hasn't gotten any higher than about 1988 on the S&P 500. And then although we had the flash crash back on August uh, 24th and 25th, um, you know, that was definitely a flash crash. That wasn't something that was long term. The real trading range at the market ha has been hitting on the low side. The place where it seems to have some support is right around 1913. So it's hovering somewhere on the upside around 1988. On the downside, uh, no less than, say, 1913. And what we want to watch over these coming days and weeks 
as this market consolidates, we want to see if it can break above that, you know, that 1980 something. Can it get up above the 2000 mark and stay there on a consistent basis? And if it can't, does it break that support at around 1930? Does it go back to test the lows that we saw towards the end of August when it got down to around 1867? You know, will it go down and test those lows or will it drop even farther than that? That's the real concern. Because if it breaks support at around 1913 and then it falls dramatically and breaks down below those lows that we saw back on August 24th, 25th, if that occurs, then very likely the market could go into a bear market category and we could see the market drop another, you know, 10% or more from where we are right now. So that's the concern. And like I said, it's really a coin toss. In my opinion, it's just as likely right now to, to uh, go up and raise above the 2000 mark as it is to fall apart and just as likely as it is to collapse and drop down below that 1913 level. The United States economy is actually doing quite well right now. We're chugging along. Employment, construction, housing, corporate profits, you know, all those things are okay. They're not spectacular, but they're two, two and a half percent growth. If we see a slight spike up in that and it goes up to 2.8 or 3% growth as we get into fourth quarter, you know, that could be enough to juice the market along, get people excited and have this market break out above that 2000 uh, point mark on the S&P 500 and get back up to 2100 or go up to 2150, something like that. It could go hit an all time uh, new high. I would not be surprised if that happened. On the other hand, with the slowdown in the global economy, with all the problems and shenanigans coming out of China, with the problem that we have with the export companies and countries that potentially could default or have some type of a problem repaying their debt, well, that could start to drag on corporate profits in the United States. We've already seen multiple revisions to corporate profits, and they're revising down. They're not revising up. And if that happens, even if the country doesn't go into recession, it could be enough to spook investors, and that's how we could see another major pullback in the market. I don't have a crystal ball. I can't predict the future. And so for right now, I'm watching the price volume action, and I'm not going to make any decisions until I see this consolidation and this base play out, and then we see the market either moving decidedly up or dropping back down to new lows. Now, I'll close this section out by saying that today's action in the market was very concerning. We saw a very nice recovery yesterday as we came off the long Labor Day weekend. Uh, that was to be expected, but it was also some pretty decent action. The market went up quite well. It didn't go up in above average uh, trading volume, but it did behave very well and very predictable. And then overnight, because the Chinese government is promising more stimulus, we've seen a little bit of stabilization in the Chinese stock market. They were up, uh, I don't know, another maybe 2 or 3% yesterday, but the real winner overnight was the Japanese stock market. It was up close to 8%. Now that's a huge rally, uh, but I think it's going to be short-lived and we have to remember that it was coming on the hope of more stimulus spending by the Chinese government. Our stock markets overnight, the futures market were looking extremely well. I believe they were up at some point, maybe even over 2%. That fizzled out a little bit this morning when our markets opened. They were up initially a good, I don't know, one and a half, one point seven percent. But the bad news is, is that we saw a negative reversal. We saw it take place with a lot of volume. And that nice gap up that we saw this morning quickly disappeared. By the end of the day, the major indexes closed at the extreme bottom end of their intraday trading range. 
That's always bad news. That's never a good sign, particularly when you see the amount of volume that took place with people, you know, running for the fire exits, trying to get out of the market uh, when it closed today. We'll have to see how things play out the rest of the week, but it doesn't look good. So with the volatility of this market, that's why I say if you're out there just trying to buy the dips, you know, things that worked over the last 12 months, that's not working so well in this market right now. You need to be very cautious. Okay, now let's move on to some recent comments from Alan Greenspan, who's the former chairman of the Federal Reserve. He was the chairman uh, two positions ago. He was followed by Ben Bernanke. And of course, now we have Janet Yellen that's, that's holding that position. Well, Alan Greenspan, a few days ago, had an interview on CNBC. I want to play just a small clip from that conversation that they had with him. And I want you to hear what he says about what he sees as a major problem and then also the time frame that he mentions. So listen to what he says, and then we'll come back and analyze it. We've got to take the longer-term view. And in fact, what's going to be happening is it's going to become very obvious in the next few months that we're running major budget problems. Uh, we used to have just an entitlement problem, which is a big problem in itself. But we're now having a military expenditures problem on top of that. Okay, did you catch that? He says in the coming months, it may become evident that the United States federal debt is a problem. Now, he's in this particular clip talking specifically about U.S. debt, but he's concerned about global debt overall, about how for the last at least 15 years, we've seen a huge accumulation of not only private, but also public debt. And then my interpretation of what he's saying is, is that it's not only the debt that's bad, but we've gotten to the point where it's going to be difficult to service the debt and then also to expand the debt. And so even if there isn't defaults on the debt or even if there isn't a solvency problem on the debt, we're getting to the point where it's becoming increasingly difficult to expand the debt. And if the whole economy is geared to growing based on expanding debt, and if you can't expand the debt any longer, then you're not going to have a growing economy, which really comes back to my whole premise about why here in the United States, we're only seeing you know basically 2% growth, despite the fact that the Federal Reserve has $4.5 trillion on its balance sheet, and the federal debt is you know, in excess of $17 trillion. We're just getting to the point where it's diminishing returns, and that's not only in the world's largest economy here in the United States, but it's the same problems and slowdown that we're seeing in China and the European Union and all around the world. The other thing that I want to key in on that Alan Greenspan mentioned was that he says in the coming months he thinks this problem is going to be becoming more evident. Now, it's kind of funny that he says that because, you know, I'm 54 years old and all my life I've been hearing about the problems of the federal debt. And this isn't the first time that Alan Greenspan has spoken out against it either. He's often said that the central banks can only do so much with interest rates and monetary policy and that the real problem is with the Congress and with our fiscal policy. The fact, you know, that every year we spend at least, you know, 30% more than we bring in in taxes. He's always said that that's the problem. But he's really stressing it now, and I think it's very interesting, and I want to key in on that fact that he does say that this is going to become more evident in the next few months. So I don't know if that's because we're getting into an election year, or he's concerned that the global slowdown is going to make this more you know, manifest of the problem, or if, again, it's going to be maybe coming from the export economies that are heavily reliant on commodity pricing, and that we're going to start seeing them default. You know, he doesn't really explain why he thinks this could be happening sooner rather than later. And then he also talks about two key elements of the U.S. budget, which are a problem. 
And that's the reason I entitled this podcast, Death by Democracy, because that's exactly what we're seeing take place in our country. We're at that point in the life cycle of our country where the voters have realized that they can vote themselves benefits. And we've gotten to the point where everybody knows that, where everybody's a special interest group. A democracy can survive that way when, you know, maybe 5, 15% of the population is, is feeding at the public trough. But as that democracy matures and everybody's trying to get a piece of the federal dollar, well, that's where you reach the point where, you know, Margaret Thatcher used to say, at some point you run out of other people's money. And so you'll note that Alan Greenspan not only talked about entitlement spending, that would be Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. They've expanded those entitlements so that the politicians can buy votes, right? That's the death by democracy. It isn't going to change anytime soon. That's really what's busting the budget. But I found it also very interesting that Alan Greenspan brought up that it's not only entitlement spending, but it's also the continued expansion of defense spending. And I don't have it in this clip, but he also goes on to say, that although the sequester that was put in place about three years ago, that that has helped to uh, contain some of the defense spending. But all of the policy initiatives are moving in the direction of needing additional defense spending. So basically meaning that we're continuing to expand our presence into, into other countries by offering them foreign aid and by further putting a burden on our military to provide defensive services throughout the Middle East, Europe, Asia, you know, we continue to want to be the policemen of the world, and we can't afford it. And we're cutting back on our military infrastructure at the same time the demands are escalating. Now, I'm not predicting gloom and doom here. I'm not at this point worried about an economic collapse. I'm not putting all my money into gold and precious metals. The time for that may come at some point in the future, but I don't think that's the problem yet. In any case, I'll wrap up this episode by pointing out that from the statement we just heard from Alan Greenspan is that he's not only concerned about the debt, but he's also concerned that that may be an issue in upcoming months. I'm going to keep Alan Greenspan's comments in the back of my mind, and I'm going to be watching for evidence of that to rear its ugly head and further spook the markets. So stick with me in future episodes as I continue to provide you with insight and updates on my observations and commentary on the stock market and general wealth building principles. Until the next episode, as always, this is John Pugliano wishing you the very best of returns.